Well, unfortunately, yes, uh, Christians sometimes can do things, ask for things, say things, teach things that are, well, resistible, right? And that's kind of the series that we have been in for the last two weeks. We're wrapping it up today with week three, next week's Easter. I hope you all are going to be here for that. Um, But uh, the whole point of the series is, you know, there's some things in religion, but more specifically in Christianity that, well, we should resist and that Christianity kind of sometimes gets off track. And we're going to talk about another one of those kind of moments today and and things we can do about it. Uh, But we want to talk about this because, well, the reality is um, sometimes as Christians, we don't see the resistible parts of Christianity. But unfortunately, or fortunately, the rest of the world does. Okay? It doesn't really take a rocket scientist to figure out, hey, that's probably not the best prayer to make. Hey, please protect my $5 million home. You know, there, there might be some other ones. Uh, and, and so what we've been saying throughout the series is, is every week the start of it, which is often the things that people resist about the church, the church should resist too. Okay. Often the things that the rest of the world sees that says, that just, I don't know Jesus. I don't put my faith in Jesus. But if I were to guess, that's not what Jesus said or did, yet the Christians are doing it. And so as a church, we really should resist it too, but we don't, okay? So instead of, I'm going to change it up a little bit today. Today, as we end the series, I'm not going to focus so much on, we're going to talk a little bit about some things that Christians should resist and how we got there. Um, But instead, I want to end today by talking about what Christians should be focused on. Okay, I'll say that again. We're not going to focus on today what Christians should resist. Instead, we're going to focus on what Christians should be doing and how it's easy to lose sight of that thing we should be doing and how over history we have as Christians lost sight of that thing, that one, really one thing that we really should be doing above all else. And it's really something, and this feels really dramatic just to hit you with this right out of the gate at the start of the message, but it's really the part of our faith that we should be giving our lives to, our lives for, the thing that we should be following, the thing that we should be surrendering to. But it's really easy to not do that, but we need to stay focused on it. And we're going to start off right at the bat and give you that thing, and then we're going to talk about the implications of all of that for the rest of the the message today. So hours before Jesus' crucifixion, so this thing that we're going to be celebrating on Friday at the Good Friday service, which if you've never been to a Good Friday service at Infuse, honestly, in the the last three years, we've only been able to do it online. So it's going to be your first time in person in a long time. You should really drive up to Cedar Rapids to be a part of that and and have food with us beforehand. Um, But so Jesus is about to be crucified just in a matter of hours. He's surrounded by his closest followers. He washes their feet as a sign of many things, but one of them just simply a servant's heart. I'm here to serve you, not for you to serve me, okay? He's a king that washes the feet, the dirty, smelly feet of his, um, you know, kingdom, the people in his kingdom, per se, his disciples, in this really profound act of service. He gets done washing this, their feet. Everybody's just sitting around like, whoa, what just happened? This was crazy. This was weird. I mean, it'd, it'd be way weirder. I mean, it'd be weird, let's be honest. If I started washing people's feet right now, that'd be pretty weird. Some of you'd be creep out. You'd like want to get out of the room. It'd be so uncomfortable. But then imagine it was the son of God doing that, okay? It'd be overwhelming. It'd be definitely really weird, okay? So he gets done with that. That's what they're thinking about. That's the image they have in their head right now, okay? And then he goes on. 
And he says, a new command I give to you, a new one, to which they probably think to themselves, okay, wait a second. So three years have gone by, we've been following you, and now all of a sudden there's a new thing we should be doing, okay? What, what about all the other things you've been teaching? And it really wasn't new. The, the Greek word here to say new could also mean um, a f- kind of a fresh take or a different, like this is not normal. I'm going to take a, something you know and just modify it slightly, okay? So he said, new command that I give to you, love one another, to which they said, and maybe some of you say too, well, Jesus, you already taught that at some point, you know, in your life. You, you know, they came to you and they said, hey, what's the best, greatest commandment of all time? Like, what's the one thing we need to focus on? And Jesus is like, love God and love your neighbor. Like, you need to love one another. So they're like, this is not really new. But Jesus is a done. Jesus says, as I have loved you, love one another as I, Jesus, have loved you. So you must love one another. You know, I just washed your feet. Yep. That's how you need to love one another. You know how, well, they didn't know this at the moment, but they're soon to find out. You know how I just washed Judas's feet, the guy who's literally in the process of betraying me right now? Yeah. That's how you need to love one another, even the the people who betray you. And it's going to be by this, this love that you have for one another, that everyone will know, everyone not a follower of me, everyone's going to know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not just, you know, like our version of love, but Jesus kind of love, wash your feet love, die on the cross kind of love, that kind of love. And it's by that, I mean, I don't think we fully grasp the consequences of this. It is by that love that the rest of the world is going to know that you follow me, Jesus, that you are what will come to be known as a Christian. To which then I would ask you, is that how you have determined who or is not a Christian in your life so far? In the years that you've been alive, when you look at other people, how do you determine whether or not they're a Christian? Is it by how they love? No, it's not, is it? It's by their church attendance, right? Or because they said so. And then you looked at them and then you looked at their behavior and you're like, gosh, it's a weird take on Christianity, but okay, right? It's not how well you can attend service on Sunday. It's not how fancy your church buildings are. That doesn't make you or not make you Christian. It's not even how well or poorly you preach on Sunday. That doesn't actually make you a Christian. That's why there are pastors who you question if they're Christian. That's why there's church buildings that you would avoid because of what's happened there, right? It's how you love. It's how people will look at you and say, wow, They treat people so much differently than anyone else. They treat people with such respect and kindness and patience and forgiveness and mercy that it just, it really doesn't make sense. It's kind of weird, right? It's different. It's not how normally people behave and treat one another. It's it's not normal. And Jesus would say, yeah, that, that kind of love is what makes a Christian a Christian. So Jesus taught this, right? And all of its implications is maybe you're processing through them right now. And then what did he do? He let himself be arrested. He was tried, convicted, and nailed to Roman cross. 
slowly suffocating over hours to death. And he told us why. And his disciples told us why. To give his life as ransom for the sins of the world. He gave his life because he loved us, because God so loved us. And I know that's difficult maybe to accept, and sometimes that's kind of the barrier we put up between ourselves and God is, you know, we just don't want to accept that that's true because then we would have to accept God's love. And sometimes we're not always great at accepting people's love. Have you ever noticed that? But yet God, through Christ, loved us anyway. I mean, think about it. How many people have, I've asked this many times before, but it's such a critical question, especially when we talk about, you know, Christianity that's resistible. You know, how many people have given their lives for you that you know? Like, the reason they died is to protect or save you. I mean, short of the military, not many people probably experience that. But think about the incredible, extraordinary sacrifice that that would take the love that someone would have to show for you or the love you would have for someone else to give your life for them so they could live on. It's incredible. So when you read this verse, you're reading it in the sense of not only do you wash their feet, but you love them to the degree at which you're willing to give your life for them. And what's so crazy, speeding the story up again a little bit, so Jesus rose again, died, rose again. He ascended to heaven, and the Christians took his teachings and this command, which he kind of reiterated again and again and again, in different ways. Like most of Jesus' teaching was this expanded upon, right? It was an exposition on how to love people. And the Christians took that, and they had an extraordinary impact, an extraordinary start. It was such incredible love that the non-Christians around the world at the time, they just couldn't make sense of this little minority religious group called Christianity. Yet Christians loved, and they, they exploded. They just reached all the corners of the Roman Empire and beyond at that point. And it left so many people scratching their heads like, what are they doing? Why do these Christians do this stuff? And so what, what some of these um, people in power would do, uh, emperors and the like, they'd try to understand why these Christians were the way they were. And one example of this, I've shared this before at Infuse, but it's such a great one. Uh, I wanted to bring it up again. 70 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, so about in the year 110 AD, a Roman emperor uh, was talking to, his name is Trojan, Trajan, excuse me, and he was talking to um, a guy named Plenty the Younger, okay? And he was called Plenty the Younger not because of his age, but because his uncle was a very famous, like, science guy, and his name was Plenty the Elder, okay? So you switch it up. He was Plenty the Younger. Okay, you got it. Anyways, he goes in trying to figure out who these Christians are. So what, what is the best way to do that? You arrest them, you torture them, and then you execute them. Okay, just three simple steps right there to understanding Christianity. And that's what he did. And so the Christians would tell that him everything, you know, that from his own account that they were doing. And so he wrote down everything that they were doing, and he put it in a letter, and he sent it to the emperor so the emperor could understand what these pesky, terrible, crazy Christians were up to. And here's what he said. There's a little excerpt from his letter 
you know, 2,000 years ago. Here's what he said. He said, they testified that this was the whole of their crime or error, that they were Christians. Okay, that's what they said. That they had met regularly before dawn, these Christians, on a fixed day. And they would get together and they would sing a hymn to God. Unbelievable. And they took an oath every day. They get up before they go to work, all this. They take an oath to each other. They'd commit to one another not to do any crimes. But instead, uh, uh, excuse me, oath not for committing any crime, but instead for not committing thefts, robberies, adulteries, nor refuse to repay a deposit. Essentially, they, would, they are going to pay their debts. If they owe debts, they're going to pay debts. And they commit to one another in the name of Jesus that they are going to be these kinds of citizens. And you know what he described like two sentences after? He said, it's just despicable. You just kind of look at that, and you're like, wow, I, I don't know about you, but I, I would like those people to be my neighbor, you know? I would like some of my neighbors to leave and these people to move in, okay? Because if this is going to, if these kinds of people are going to live by me, this sounds like a wonderful neighborhood. I would like to raise my kids. I, would, I wish some of my coworkers would make this commitment before they came to work every day, right? You know, you can think, these are pretty upstanding people. And they were hated by some for it, but they were loved by many more for it. And why did they do this? Why did they get up early and sing hymns? Why did they get up early and make these commitments? Why? Because love doesn't steal. Love doesn't cheat. Love doesn't neglect our debts and obligations. Not because somebody wrote it down in a book and said, these are the rules you have to abide by. You do it because that's how Jesus loved. And that's how we as Christians are to love others. Just imagine if Christians actually, oh my goodness, if Christians just did that. They just did what Plenty the Younger told the emperor that they did. And they just did that consistently without fault. Could you imagine that the world that we could live in if that's what Christians did? And it didn't stop there. Within the next 200 years, so about 200 to 300 AD, there were multiple pandemics Okay, this is pretty crazy, um, especially because we just got out of a pandemic. Uh, they had a really big one. It was a variation on smallpox. And then they had another one, which was a variation on Ebola, or what we call Ebola today. Um, and obviously, these diseases have since mutated and shown up in different ways uh, with different expressions. But, um, and, and some of these pandemics, they went on for decades. Like, we were stressing out over like two and a half years of a pandemic. Okay, we were fretting, all right? They went on for years, decades, in fact. And what happened would most people would just run away. They'd run into the rural areas around the city centers because they wanted to get away. They didn't want to get the disease. But in so doing, they also spread the disease to everywhere else. What were the Christians' response? Well, certainly I'm sure there were some Christians that ran away too. I don't know. But it wasn't exactly COVID-19 response. There was no Christians raising their fist in anger about wearing masks. There were no Christians judging their neighbor, either publicly or secretly, for their choices throughout the pandemic. There weren't any angry social media posts, not just because there wasn't social media, but, you know, had they had it, you know. There wasn't any of that. There wasn't anger. No. Uh, one of the archbishops in Alexandria said, hey, in the midst of this pandemic, there's 5,000 people in Rome dying every day. 5,000 people a day. 
And what Christians did is what love required of them. What Jesus taught them to do, they, they stayed and they cared for the sick and the dying, and they buried the dead. They loved in the midst. And some of them gave their lives because they stayed to care, just like some first responders did through our pandemic. That was the Christians, though, this time, because there were no doctors in the traditional sense. But these Christians stayed, and people lived because the Christians loved. People lived because the Christians loved. Not because they were doctors, but simply because they provided food and water to those that were sick. And if you are so sick, you are unable to get food and water, there's not a lot of chance for you. It doesn't take a doctor to help people to live sometimes. It just takes someone to give themselves, give of themselves and their time to help and serve others. And it changed the Roman Empire. People saw these Christians and their behaviors and like, why? Why are you doing this? Don't you, aren't you afraid you could get the disease? And they say, yeah, but I believe in a guy who died and rose again. So I think whatever happens here, it'll probably work out. Might not be enjoyable, but these people certainly need some love and I can give it. When infants were no longer wanted in the Roman Empire, they would just leave them out on the, on the road. It was called infocide, right? And uh, Christians, especially monastic Christians during this time, would bring these infants in. They would raise them. They would feed them. And this is how we started modern-day orphanages. And eventually, the Christians got the emperor to outlaw leaving your infant on the side of the road in the Roman Empire. Why? Because that's what love required, Love is a defining part of following Jesus and is a defining part of faith in Jesus. And then, as we learned last week, we got to this period, 313 AD, and the Edict of Milan, which essentially said Christians were no longer under persecution. It was not permissible to persecute a Christian because of their faith. They were now free to be Christians. We talked about with them what they did with that freedom, which it wasn't great. Go back and watch last week. But what happened next then impacted us even to today. And it's that this. Christianity went from a persecuted minority to an empowered majority. Think on that for a second. When Christians have been at their best, in their most loving, amazing form, it's when this has happened. They're an empowered majority now. And more specifically what happens is Christianity or Christians no longer needed to love to change the world. They could change the world like everybody else through power, money, passing laws and legislating control and authority like other worldly tools. They were no different than the rest of the world. No different. And then something else happened, which is, I'm sure you can think of expressions of that that have impacted you today or in the last few decades. And then what happened is Christians started disagreeing about what to believe. This was new. Up until this point, there wasn't a lot of disagreement of what to believe. They just believed that Jesus died, rose again, and here's what he taught, and we're going to follow him. It was that simple. But then we made it really kind of complicated, 
And Christians disagreed on the right belief and the wrong belief. Do Christians ever do that today? Did they ever do that? Did they have a controversy over how to love like Jesus better? No. They didn't, they didn't assemble a big council and say, hey, everybody, we got to get together because we need to figure out how to love each other better. No, no, no. They got a first big council meeting together. Why? Well, because there was a guy named Arius, and he said, Jesus, um, God created Jesus, and he wasn't, he's not part of God, okay? He's not the part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He, he's, he's uh, you know, God created him, okay? And then there was the other group of Christians that said, no, Jesus was there at the beginning. He is always, he is a part of God. They are the part of the Holy Trinity, this kind of thing, okay? And so they had a big disagreement over this. So Constantine, the guy with the Edict of Milan guy, he said, well, we're going to have a whole big committee. He paid for it, had everybody travel, got all these, you know, men to Together to figure this out because what, what could go wrong. And 12 years after it was now free for Christians, free for Christians to worship, what happened? They disagreed. The council happened and they came out with what was called the Nicene Creed, which some of you, when you grew up in church, you actually recited the Nicene Creed. It's about belief. Some of you grew up and you recited the Apostles' Creed. Nicene is older. Nicene is kind of widely accepted among all Christians um, of Eastern Orthodox and all the different types of sects of Christianity. Um, that's kind of the, the go-to one. And then there's the Apostle Creed uh, that you may have grown up with as well. But uh, essentially Christianity became creedal. It became like we, it, what matters most and what's most important is what we believe. Not so much what we, or how we behave. And so then it was no shock that the emperor came along, the same emperor, and said, hey, anybody that believes that God created Jesus, what Arius said, has any of his writings in their possession or is going out and preaching that, that's called heresy. And you will be put to death for it. Christianity has only been legal for a decade. And Christians are already executing other Christians because they believed the wrong thing. And that execution process, let's be honest, has continued for the next 1,500 plus years. And guess, I'll be honest with you, theology has value. But would you say that the world is better off because we have that creed. We have that statement of faith. A statement of faith, mind you, that has nothing to do and includes no statement about loving one another. Or if you think about the Apostle Creed, isn't it interesting? The Apostle Creed does not include that big command. Jesus said the most important thing you could do, love God and love each other with all your strengths, your soul, your heart, your mind. You've got to put everything into it. This is the most important thing. The rest of the world will know you are Christians by how you love like I loved. And yet it is nowhere in these creeds that we say over and over again. Why? Well, <laughs> I think there was probably some politics because the emperor didn't want, you know, love to be the rule of law because, you know, then they couldn't get away with what they wanted to get away with. And so it's easier if we just, you know, hey, so long as you believe this, then you're good. We may not execute people today, but we certainly are still good at shaming those who think or believe something differently than ourselves. But it doesn't sound like this message, does it? A new command I give you. Love one another. So I can execute them? Hmm. Love one another. Do you think you can execute them? Do you think that's okay? 
as I have loved you? Is that something Jesus would do? No, but somehow we convinced ourselves that that is loving like Christ loved us. This is the thing that we cannot lose sight of. This is the thing that makes us so resistible is when we lose sight of loving, not like we want to love, but like how Jesus loved. How Jesus loved. He taught, he modeled, this is how you love. And then Paul came along and Paul reminded us of this. What did he say? He said, the only thing that counts, like if you're counting one, two, three, four, five, if you're keeping track, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You may make it about a legalistic thing. You may make it about a ritual. He was addressing a ritual issue at that point. He said, you may make it about the ritual. In comparison to love, it doesn't count. Faith expressing itself not through ritual, but through love is what counts. And then Peter came along and Peter said something very similar. He said, above all, not above some, not above a few things. He said, above all, love each other deeply. Because it is only through love that covers a multitude of sin. When you miss the mark with God and when you miss the mark with others, that's called sin. He said, the only thing that's going to cover that is love. And so as Christians, gosh, we just have to do way better at recognizing some of our resistible behaviors from the ones that Jesus called us to live out, the ones that he called us to show. Now, if I can be honest for a minute, thank you, I will be honest, okay? Um, I'm not sure that I personally necessarily would have done a lot better than some of those Christians for the first 300 years of the church. You know, I don't know exactly how I would have handled a pandemic, not like COVID-19 pandemic, but like bubonic plague pandemic, okay? That lasts decades, you know? Um, I don't know. Uh, and I'm not going to say that I would have, you know, done always the right thing or, you know, if I had had come face to face with plenty the younger that I would have said, you know what, I am Christian. And even though that's going to mean um, execution for me, that, that I wouldn't have done something different. So I'm not trying to sit in some space of moral superiority here. But I do think it is really worth considering how other Christians have behaved in the past and how they loved in the midst of all that. And sometimes I think, I get wrong what they get, got right when it came to love. Because I struggle, I know, I'm sure most of you don't struggle with this, but I struggle to love sometimes. And I'm not even under persecution. Like, I may get some angry emails. You, you may be disappointed in me sometimes, but like, let's be honest, it's not persecution. But I, I'll be honest, I have a hard time loving my enemy. Like, when somebody intentionally or maliciously hurts me, um, I don't respond necessarily the best, okay? Sometimes uh, when Stephanie and I argue, I do not love her back. When sometimes my kids are uh, defiant and screaming and not listening and the pressure's on, I probably am not the most loving. And what happens in my mind, not saying this happens in yours, but maybe this would be helpful for you. Sometimes in my mind, I think to myself, well, you all aren't really doing the behavior I want you to do, and so I'm not sure you're really deserving of my love. 
Or as Christians sometimes say, you're not believing what I want you to believe or behaving the way I want you to behave. Therefore, you are not worthy of my love. And I'm going to take my love elsewhere. And I sit in this place of like judgment, right? Looking down at everybody around me. Because you don't deserve it. Because you're not doing what I want. And a lot of times, let's be honest, that's what Christians do, right? We tell minorities they're bad, they're wrong. We tell people that they're wrong and that we disagree with them. And so then it breaks us into smaller groups and smaller groups. And I think we have like a thousand plus different denominations and flavors of Christianity today. Or, you know, we're going to stick our flag on the sand of this one belief and this belief will define us, you know. And have you ever heard a Christian church splitting up because they said, you know what? We just, we need to love God better. And together, we're just not loving, loving God and others well. You know, how many, how many times has that broken a church up? We just got to love better. What I realized um, is if I try to show my love to other people, it doesn't work. Because I don't ever, and I'm not sure I will ever think that others are perfectly worthy of my love. However, if I choose to show Jesus's love to them, if I choose to see myself simply as just a vessel in which I share Jesus's love with them, because I'm not sure that I would have gotten up on that cross. I love you guys. I'm so grateful for you. But <laughs> Jesus's love didn't falter. Jesus' love questioned. He asked God, God, could you take this cup away? But he did not walk away. And that's the love I want to show through my life. Because that's the love that Jesus has shown me. Because I'm not deserving of his love. But yet he loves. Yet he died. My broken heart struggles deeply to love everyone's. But Jesus' love won't. And I'm guessing you're not too far off from me. My broken heart will struggle to find reconciliation. My broken heart will struggle to serve you as Jesus has served me. So I better find Jesus' love instead of my own. This question, think about this. Do you love like God so loved the world? If you're Christian, do you love like God so loved the world? How did he so love the world? He loved them through, he loved us through Jesus. And so should we. Because it's never going to be worthwhile enough. It's never going to be enough. But yet we can still love. We can be that channel, that vessel of Christ's love to the world, which I think we can all agree the world really needs. And so let's be that. Let's love the world as God loved us. And I'm guessing if Christians would have gone through not just the first 100 years or 300 years, but 300 years plus saying, you know what? I want to the world, love the world like God loved the world. I want to love them like Jesus loved them. I'm guessing some of the outcomes of Christianity being legalized wouldn't have happened. And they wouldn't quite plague us as badly as they do today. But we can change it now. We can choose a new path to now. That's the great thing about Christianity. It's all about redemption. It's all about renewal. It's about new life. Walking away from the old, washing the sins away, and finding new life. And we can do that today. Is there a better time? Is there a better time? We may not all be unified. Or excuse me, we may not all be uniform, 
but we certainly can be unified because we put all of our squabbles way down here and we put Jesus way up here. And we say, yeah, well, we disagree about that. Yeah, but it is so far off from the king. It is so far off from the love Jesus showed on the cross that maybe we can, maybe we can still stay together in unity and disagree. That's the great thing about Infused Church. We got, we got Catholics, we got Baptists, we got Presbyterian, we got Lutherans. We got people who are still trying to figure it out, not sure if they'll ever figure it out. And that's okay. Why? Because we want to love like God loved. God didn't come down and say, I'm only coming if you got it all figured out. Get it together, and then I'll be there. No, he said, I'm coming now because I love. That's what love does. And that's what we need to do. So um, we take communion. Um, and when we take communion, uh, if you grew up in church, uh, we have two elements. Um, if you got your elements, um, the top, you can open the top up and there's the bread. And then underneath there's the juice. And um, communion is a time of remembrance. Um, it's a time of remembering what Jesus did. But I think it's also, even more importantly, a time of remembering why Jesus did it. He did it because he loves us and he wants to be a part of us. That's why we eat it. So it becomes a part of us. It's a symbol of his love and we are bringing it into ourselves so hopefully we can show it out to the world. So if you have the bread, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus gave thanks and took the bread saying, this is my body that will be broken for you. Take it, eat it, in remembrance of me. After that supper, the same supper, wash and feed, and the same supper he gave that command. He took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you on a cross so that you would know how much God loves you. And you would take that and you would consume it and it would fill you so you could share it to the world. Take and drink it in remembrance of me. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, fill us. Lord, as we learned in this series, you, you see us as a temple. Our bodies are a temple. And Lord, we want you to be in our heart. We want your love, your spirit to dwell in us and fill us and lead us and guide us. Because Lord, we're not going to love perfectly on our own. We are going to fall short. We are going to have great excuses and reasons not to love like you loved us. But Lord, if you are in our hearts, if we trust you, if we put our faith in you, we have that ability, that power that Paul talked about to express our faith through love to the world, to those who are closest to us, around us, and live by us, and to those who are farthest away. Lord, have that love fill our hearts so that love through us can spread like a wave to others. 
because others need it. Others long for it. Lord, all of us want to be loved. All of us want to have purpose and direction and value. And God, you gave it to us through your son. You didn't just give us a theology. You just didn't give us a list of behaviors. You gave us context for how to love better, for how you want to love us and how we can love you back and love those around us. So Lord, help us trust in that truth. Help us trust in your love to take that leap of faith out and to lean on you more and to show your love more deeply, especially as we come to Easter especially as we remember your commands, especially as we look back at Christian history and say, boy, we could have done that better. Help us to do it better now. Help us to live that out better now. Because even when we didn't deserve it, even when you didn't need to show up, you did and you have over and over again. Help us to trust that and live that out today. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your love. Give us the strength to live in a way that is honoring of your love for us. In your name I pray, amen.